Good morning, Whitewater. How you guys doing? Hanging in there? Um, I wanted to start today with um, a, just a little bit of vision before we jump into the, into the sermon. Um, uh, in, in the month of February, um, a few weeks in the month of February, we're going we're gonna to begin uh, a campaign or a, a series on faith. Um, and the goal of this is just for our whole church to have the temperature of faith, trust in the Lord, reliance on the Lord, um, belief that, you know, that we, we have a God who can accomplish the, you know, the miracles, not only in our life, but also in, in past history, that we serve a God who has been at work in the world, and he can do incredible things. And um, we want to turn the temperature of faith up in our church across the board. So this is going to be a, a church-wide thing. We're going to have um, seven weeks where people can get into uh, groups. And I've been encouraging you guys over the last few weeks to just be praying about ent- getting in a group or connecting to a group somehow with Whitewater. And if you're interested in that, just you know, marking that on your, on your connection card. Uh, I'm not asking for a major, major commitment now, but I just want you to be praying and thinking toward that. Um, I'm also, we're asking for hosts. We're praying that we could have 35 hosts. That means we would have 35 groups going during the faith campaign. And um, when we're together with a community that's seeking wisdom together, not doing 2018 alone, but when we're doing it together, I think uh, we grow exponentially because we're learning and we're like as iron sharpens iron, we're, we're sharpening one another. And so um, I'm, pr- I'm praying for 35 hosts. You don't have to be you know, perfect at it. You don't have to be like know everything about it. You just got to be willing uh, and we'll get you equipped. We'll get you the training. We'll get you the materials that you need to be successful. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, over the next few weeks, I've been men- uh, I'm going to continue mentioning this, but just write a host on a connection card that you're interested in it. It's not signing up for life or anything. And we'll, we'll help you with the next steps there. There's two other things that I want to bring to you guys as far as this faith campaign, because we want to be really prepared. We want our church to be ready for it. And when I say church-wide, I mean our kids are going to be going along with us, our groups, um, individually. Uh, we're going to have stuff that we can actually do during the week uh, in our own personal devotion time. The whole church is going to be aligned around this growth in faith together. Um, but the two things I wanted to bring up uh, that I haven't mentioned yet, uh, one is that we're going to ha- be having a prayer team around this. We want a prayer team that's just going to be praying for uh, you, for our church, for the leaders, um, during this uh, campaign, like really before it, during it, and, and after. And, and April Houghton, who used to be involved with leading our children's, she has a real giftedness with prayer, and she's going to be heading up a team of, of prayers. And uh, so if you like to pray, if praying's your thing, and um, I, I want to ask you to consider joining the prayer team and to, to give some of your spiritual gifts to our church that way. And so if that's you, fill out a connection card, give us your contact info, and April will be contacting you about uh, the prayer team and what, what's going to be involved when they meet and that kind of thing. So I want you to know about that. And then lastly, uh, with th- this, um, this faith series that we're going to be going into, we would like to, over the duration of the series, to have a, um, a, a communications coordinator. 
We'd like someone who could do some communications, um, build a team around communications. And so um, if you are interested in helping us with that, you, know, you could have the time to meet with a team. You could have the time to put into communicating well with our church, um, all the cool stuff that's going to be happening. Um, would you just mark on a connection card again, turn it in today, and mark interested in communications or communication coordinator. If you'd mark that down and turn it in, uh, someone will, will get connected with you. And uh, if not leading, we'll at least, uh, we're going to have a team. And so we just want to get as many good people as we can on that. So if you're interested in helping us with that, that would be amazing. I'm going to pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We're so uh, grateful for your grace in our lives. Lord, would you, um, would you speak to our hearts today? Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts through your word, by your spirit. Would we be open to receive what you have to give to us today. And Lord, where there's people carrying heavy burdens, would you help lift them off? Where there's people that are um, bearing wounds, would you uh, begin healing those? And Lord, we just want to trust you with everything we have. In Jesus' name, amen. So you guys remember last week I told a parable, and the parable went like this. There was once an ambitious man who got a a new job. He had a, a friend, an old friend, who was really an advisor to him, and uh, they met together, and, and the old advisor asked, asked him, so what are you doing? He says, well, I'm working, and I got a new job, and he's like, and I'm going to work my way to the top. And if you guys remember the story, he began telling him how he's going to do it. I'm going to outwork all my coworkers, all the competitors. I am going to rise above the rest, so they have to promote me to manager. And then the old advisor said, I'll after you do that. What then? He says, well, well, then I'm going to, you know, even if I have to, I'm going to even have to push others down or I have to push someone out. I'm going to, I want to be an exec. And so I'm going to work and work and outwork everybody. I'm going to outsmart everybody. And I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get someone out so that I can become an exec. And then the old advisor looked at him and said, oh, and then what? And, um, so, well, I've always wanted to be CEO, so I'm going to do everything. Once I get there, I'm going to do all the stuff I did to get there, to get to the next spot. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to spend more time, late hours. I am going to put more energy. And if I have to push someone, I'm going to push someone. I'm going to get to the place. That's my goal. And uh, the old advisor smiled and looked at him and said, and then what? And then he said, well, he kind of paused. He hadn't thought this fully through. And he said, I... I guess I'll, I'll have fun with my family and friends and, uh, and have joy with my life. And the old advisor paused for a moment and then looked at him and said, and what is preventing you from enjoying your family and friends and having fun with them and enjoying life right now? That parable, I just think, it's so simple, but I think it's so powerful because it speaks to the human condition. Um, We've had this contest every week. I I, want to see if someone can figure out these parables and who has like the the best description of what the parable means, or at least the layer that we're going to look at. And I actually had someone turn, uh, uh, submit an answer, and um, this is their answer. It said... um, we don't need professional success to enjoy what we already have. Our friends, and especially our family, aren't waiting for us to do that. And, and this really strikes at the heartbeat of what 
I want to talk about today, and that's contentment. Living with contentment in a discontent world. Now, i got to give the prize out. I don't, is Ty Wilbur around? Ty, Ty Wilbur was the one who turned that in. I, uh, I think Ty likes Buffalo Wild Wings, so Ty, you can uh, come claim your prize, my friend. We got, you guys mind giving him a hand like for the answer? I thought that was really good. Um, Buffalo Wild Wings, I'm sure you'll take me there and we can have some fun. Um, this is for you, buddy. Good, good answer, man. Um, like, and it came in at the last minute, too. There was another winner, and then it came in. I was like, I think i got to go with that. Um, but I want to talk with you guys about contentment in a discontent age. Um, there was this, um, this movie I watched recently, All the Money in the World. Have you guys heard of this movie? Uh, the movie's about a really wealthy guy, uh, the richest man in the world at the time, and he has one of his uh, relatives, a grandson, who's kidnapped and tried to you know, be ransomed, and he won't pay a cent. And the whole movie's about like the tension and the family, and that's got all this money, but all the hurt and conflict that's going on behind the scenes. And, um, and, and money has almost become like this mental illness for one of the main characters, the, the wealthiest, the richest man in the world. And um, there's a moment in this movie uh, where someone asks the richest man in the world, they ask him, uh, what would it take for you to feel like you had enough money to be safe? And he just looks right at him and he says, more, more. We live in a world of more. There's this disease of more that, that can creep into our hearts as humans. I think it's, like a, it's an unfortunate uh, result of sin in the world where we've gotten, a, we've gotten off balance, we've gotten a twist in the relationship, a fracture in our relationship with God. And, and, and the world has this disease of more, more money, um, uh, more relationships. I've, I've, I've got friends that have, have gotten into the pattern of, you know, more, uh, uh, more dating, more, uh, more wives, and they are already starting to go through multiple marriages in, in their 30s. More, I've got to have more. Um, I've got to have more prestige. I've got to have more social equity. Um, I have to have more, more house, more car, more. We live in this culture where everything is more, the disease of more. And I think that parable that I told last week and, and just a moment ago is, is so insightful. Like it's, it's, um, it cuts to the quick. It reminds us that like we can have all these plans for more, and I'm gonna, and we can have all these ambitions. And I'm not saying ambition to do something with your life is bad. God's put a drive in us to serve Him and to make a difference in the world. But what happens is that drive can kind of really easily be overtaken by this desire um, that's separate from God. Like I have to do this on my own. I have to prove myself. We can have all these hidden motivations. Like I, I, I need to be the greatest or I need to have the most, whatever that motivation is. And it can get, it can go rampant in our lives. And I think it's such a good reminder in that parable, like the advisor asking, and what then? And what then? What's the ultimate end of your goal, of your desire to have more of this, to have more of that? What, where is it taking you? The advisor is asking, where is it taking you? Well, ultimately, he says, it's taking me to a place where I'll have everything and then I'll be able to enjoy my family. And he just makes the cogent remark, the advisor, wisdom, has the remark that says, what, what is keeping you from enjoying them right now? 
Why do you have to have more so that you can enjoy what has already been given to you? And how many of us here are so driven with our lives and we're, we're, we're busy, uh, we don't have enough time, and there's all sorts of things rolling at us a million miles an hour, and, and it can be so easy to believe in this, the illusion, whether it's a digital illusion, whether it's an illusion of the heart and mind, that like once I get there, then I can be happy. Then I'll have joy. Then I can be content. And the Bible teaches us wisdom on how to be content in a discontent world. How to learn, like even though we can want more, we can want to have a greater impact with our lives, and we can, we can have that drive to, to be everything God's created you and I to be, there's also a reality that we have to accept who we are and where we're at. And there's a reality that we have to accept that God accepts us as we are where we are at. I think that's one of the hardest things for us as humans. If you're a Christian or you have a vague idea that there might be a God, that there sometimes can be like this thing like, I'm not okay with God being okay with me because I'm not okay with me. I'm not okay with me. I'm not okay with where I'm at in life. I'm not okay with my, where my personality's at. I'm not okay with, you know, the shortcomings in my life. And I want to be a lot farther, faster than where I am now. And I, and I think there's feelings of failure. And, and I, I don't want God to be okay with me because I'm not okay with me now. And if you can't learn to be content with where you're at in life and with who you are and with what God has given to you in this season of your life, I'm telling you, the disease of more will haunt you your whole life. So I want to talk to you guys about... I want to talk to you guys about the treatment for discontentment. I want to talk to you guys about the reality of how do we get well from this or how do we get on the path to wellness. And the first starts with, well, what is the problem with discontentment? What are, what are the results... What are the symptoms of discontentment? In James uh, chapter 4, it says this um, in verse 2. You want what you don't have. Isn't that interesting? It just starts off with that, that small statement that has so much power to it. You want what you don't have. And so you scheme or you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have. But you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. It says like human conflict, scheming, backstabbing, uh, envy and jealousy all come from this reality that like we can't have what we want sometimes. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Um, discontentment. The disease of more and the disease of now. Like, not only is it do I want more in our culture, but it's like I want it now and I deserve it now. I'm entitled to it. It needs to be easy. It needs to be uh, immediate and I'm entitled to it. And if I don't, and if I don't get what I'm entitled to, I'm envious about it. And so the cycle goes. I want this car. I want this house. I want this life. I want this thing. And, and it begins to consume us from the inside out. It's the cause of all these issues. And Matthew 6.25 gives us another uh, insight into the problems and the results of discontentment in our world. And you, I mean, you look at the world, you look at your life, my life, and you tell me if the Bible's wrong. Don't worry about your life. 
Don't have anxiety about your life, what you eat or what you drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Isn't life more than just the, the sum of what you can get and what you're worried about? And, it's, and, it, and it keys in there. Don't worry about your life. Anxiety and worry. We live in the age of anxiety all the time. People are anxious. How am I going to you know, pay the next bill? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to this person? And we act like, and this is for Christians. So if you're not a Christian, you're just exploring faith. You can just kind of sit and listen to this. But as Christians, I want to challenge us here. Matthew, throughout his whole, the whole book, one of the challenges he brings over and over is this reality that if we are people of faith, why don't we live like people of faith? Why do we live with so much anxiety? He says anxiety is, is the fruit of fear. Like well, the reason you're worried about what you're going to have, what you're going to eat, what you're going to get for your life, and the reason you spend so much mental energy and heart energy worrying and thinking and, and having these like visions of, of, of not having, the reason is because we are functioning like... Um, theistic atheists we're functioning as if uh we believe that there might be this god but we don't like actually trust him to provide for us does that make sense and matthew luke john uh, jesus in the bible challenges us to live and to pray and to act and let go of anxiety and worry and to trust god with ourselves and to trust god with other people he'll take care of us he'll take care of them he'll take care of these things and 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 of course god uses us in all of that but will we give ourselves and surrender ourselves over to worry anxiety and fear or are we going to stand in courage and faith that's hard to I'm a pastor, and that's always a challenge to look at because I want more. I want it now. Will I trust him? This leads to all sorts of stuff. I don't even have time to get into all of it, but um, a few other things that are kind of subsets of the anxiety, subsets of the worry, subsets of the fear is indecisiveness. Have you ever struggled making a decision because you're worried you're making the wrong decision? And so instead of making any decision, we make no decision. Have you ever been in that boat? Like, I just can't step out and you're just caught. It's like analysis by paralysis. And here's the problem. You want to be content. You're tired of being discontent. You know you need to make this decision, but you can't make the decision because you're afraid of making the wrong decision. And so uh, any kind of decision that's coming, you're like, uh, and guess what you feel? Do you feel any sense of contentment in that place? There's no contentment. It's like even worse because now you're mad at yourself because you can't make the decision and, you, and you've got all this indecision on top of the worry. And it just begins to build and build. There can also be a low-grade rage with discontentedness. It's not fair that I don't have this. It's not fair that things went this way. It's not fair. Like there's this low-grade rage that we can feel when our will is blocked or what we wanted and what we hoped for it doesn't come to us because it, I'm not content and I deserve to be content and we'll start um, having judgments and anger and low-grade rage. And maybe no one else knows it. You can even tell people, I'm not angry. I don't have rage. But your kids know. 
Your family knows. The ones who know you best know. This is a human thing. I'm just telling these are the subsets, the problem of discontentedness in our culture. We talked last week about living in an age of technology. That age of technology is adding layers and layers of anxiety. A lack of trust in God. Discontent. It's never enough. So here's the antidotes to the disease, to the issues. First one is enjoy what God provides. Enjoy what God provides. Ecclesiastes 3, 12 through 13 says, I, and you might want to take notes if you have them, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats and drinks and enjoys all his efforts. Um, I don't know if you guys were here, a number of, I think it's probably a month or two ago, when Michael shared about his love of the taco bus. Have you guys love the taco bus? Have you guys been there since hearing about the taco bus? I, I think Whitewater's giving them like half their business. We, we even had taco bus for our Christmas party for our staff. I mean, we just, it, we just love that. And, and good food should be enjoyed. It should be taken in. It, I, I love that it says in this verse, it says, rejoice and enjoy the good life. Like there are good aspects of life that we should enjoy. And if we're discontent, if we're worried about more, if we're worried about now and immediately and, and what I deserve and what I should have and we're f- the low-grade rage and the indecisiveness and the, the anxiety and worry, all those things begin blocking out our ability to not only see the good life but also to enjoy it and say, God, thank you for this. Because when we say thank you, we're enjoying the goodness of God. And when we're enjoying the goodness of what God has given us, we're saying thank you. Right? And so things like the taco bus. Things like um, my daughter is in the sweetest stage right now. She's just becoming like aware of the world around her in, in, in really fun ways. And we were, dri- we were driving in the car. And it was on, um, I take Fridays off. And, and Sarah, Sarah works. She's a teacher at Pialp High School. So I had Novella and I had Wes and I was taking uh, to go for a walk with the dog and then we were going to get some hot chocolate. And um, as we're driving in the car, also my daughter starts dropping these philosophical questions. She's like, Dad, did a meteor kill all the dinosaurs? And I said, how do you know about that? She's like, I was learning about it in school. And I was like, well, um, that some people think a meteor did kill it. She's like, how come it didn't eat enough of meat? And I said, what do you mean? She's like, a meat, a meat eater. And I was, like, I was like, oh, you mean a meteor? And she's like, no, it's a meat eater. I learned it at school. And I, it was just so, it was so wonderful. I was like, well, actually, meteors, you know, this... Uh, it's a rock that will fall from space. She's like, oh, that's what it is. And she started talking about it. And she's like, well, a meteor fallen hit Earth now? And I was like, are you worried that, that a meteor could, could take out the, our planet? She's like, yeah. And like, she's thinking about things. And it, you know, um, in the weirdness of that conversation, you know, it was so much fun talking with my daughter about these questions she has about like the end of the world by these meat eaters. And um, we have to enjoy these moments. You know, I could be so worried about work and so worried about life and so worried about what we're doing, but like, well, I have to be present with the good life that God has given. What's, what has been blocking you from seeing and enjoying the good life that God has given? The good moments, the beautiful moments. 
Like, don't miss those. Be content with those. Doesn't mean not to have a drive or any ambition, but learn to enjoy those things. Learn, it's a, everything's a process. If we learn to enjoy the process of, our, of God changing our life more than we're just trying to get to some destination, if we learn to embrace and enjoy the process and what God brings, that means we actually live in the kingdom rather than talk about the kingdom. That means we get to enjoy the kingdom of God rather than just tell people about this vision that will someday happen. We live it. Psalms 37 says this, um, verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, now get this, and He will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. You don't have to strive. So many, so many of us are striving and we're working. We're trying to make this thing happen on our own. And we are supposed to be actively working. But we have to know all the while, like, we can't really accomplish anything without God. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. He will do this. Uh, I just want to mention this before moving on. There are some people, I've known couples, that have had a desire in their heart for kids. To have a baby. A little one. And I can identify with this. Wanting a little one and not knowing if they will. Or being told by the doctor that this is probably impossible. And that desire of their heart being crushed. And what happens in that moment for some people is like it, it, it's, it, it touches on something so deep that we don't even want to really ever talk about it again. We don't want to bring it up, even though it's affecting us in all these different areas. And, and we're afraid to even ask God to give us the desire of our heart. We're afraid because maybe this, you know, there's way more important things going on in the world. Or I, I don't want to ask him to give me this desire that's in my heart because um, maybe he won't answer it. And I don't want to put myself out. I don't want to let other people know to be praying about this because I don't want to be disappointed. And so we won't give the desire of our heart to God and trust Him with it because we're afraid of being hurt or disappointed. We feel maybe it's trivial. Maybe we shouldn't ask. Who am I to ask? We have all these reasons. But here it says, whatever the desire of your heart, whether it's something that deep or it's the, the rekindling of a relationship, it's the saving of a marriage. It's a, it's, a, it's a miracle in someone's life that you're just begging God for. It's saving someone's life. Ask God to do the desire of your heart and trust Him with it. And if, if the desire of your heart, the way you wanted it, didn't happen, we can trust that God is going to give us something greater and better down the road. Amen? I just felt that was worth saying. Um... Number two, don't compare yourself with others. Don't compare yourself with others. Psalm 37, 7 says this, Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for Him. Again, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for Him. Expect God to do something in your life. If you're disappointed, if you're waiting, if you're discontent, you're not happy, wait Wait expectantly on him. Pray to him. Ask him. Then it says, do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way. By uh, the person who carries out evil plans. 
Do not be agitated. Don't, it's, it's saying don't like look to the left or the right and, be, and, and let your life be ruled by how angry the low-grade rage or the high-grade rage, whatever you might carry with you if it gets turned up at times. When you see somebody else doing all the wrong things and getting all the answers that you want, seeing other people who are living life, maybe they're great people, maybe they're ho- horrible people, but like, God, why not me? Right? Like, God, why not me? Have you ever had that feeling? Why, why not? Like, why are you letting all those people have what they want? You know, like I've got a brother and he can, he can eat anything he wants and he doesn't gain a pound. And I, 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 go, I, go to, I look at the taco bus these days and I gain a pound or two. I'm like, that is not fair. Him and his evil ways. <laughs> you know, he just got the side of the genes of the family I didn't get. Or I had them until I was about 25 and they went away. I wore them out. I wore them out really good. But don't be agitated. Don't compare yourself with others. Terrible je- jealousy, terrible envy will begin um, just eating at you and eating at you and eating at you. And um, 1 Corinthians 7.17, the, the, one of the ways to deal with discontentment uh, especially in comparison, is, is this. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command the churches. This is Paul writing to the church. Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. Like, like just there are times when we need to say, this is the assignment God has given me. This is the life God has given me. He hasn't called me to be this person. He hasn't called me to be that person. He, he hasn't made me to be that person. He hasn't designed me that way. And you know what? It's okay. Live in the assignment. Live within the boundaries that God has given you. And sometimes you, God pushes you to stretch those boundaries. Sometimes God uh, uses those boundaries to put real limits in our life. And he says, no. And we have to trust Him. It's for our good. This all comes down to trust. Will we trust God with the assignment that He's given us now? Or will we pine and want another one? Will we be jealous of other people's assignment? Will we be jealous of what God's doing in their life rather than pay attention to what He's given us and do a really, really good job with what He's given us? What has God assigned you in this season of your life? And how are you going to handle it? Number three. Man, I got a lot more, but just sake of time. Number three, don't hold on to what you cannot keep. I've had friends who have had dogs, and they like to to chase cars. They'll just run after them and chase them. You know, have you ever, like, in your head just pictured whatever, what would happen if that dog actually caught a car? You know, what would that look like? I mean, so many of us can look a little bit like that, that we're chasing this and chasing that, and then finally when we get that thing, like it just starts carrying us away. Don't hold on to things that, that you cannot keep. Don't hold on to what you cannot keep. First uh, Timothy 6, 6 through 7 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. Like everything we own, everything we have, the chairs we're sitting on, the clothes we're wearing, the, stu- the cars we drove here in, the homes we live in, all those things will corrode and corrupt. All those things at some point will be like at the bottom of a, a garbage dump someday, rotting. Like Some of you guys are like, there's a few things I own, George, that aren't going to end up there. But we can agree that there are things in this life that we're holding on to that we cannot keep. We cannot keep. Luke 12, 15 says, he, Jesus said, 
Watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. One's life is not in the abundance of her possessions. Our lives cannot be defined by the possessions we have. If they are, we're missing it. If we are, we're discontent. If we are, we're going to be struggling with jealousy. If we are defined by those things that will ultimately corrupt us because they are corruptible. God has called us to look and to hold on to that which is incorruptible so that our hearts will not be corrupted. Amen? Number four, allow discontentment to pull you toward eternity. There is, I think sometimes this gets forgotten, there is an aspect of discontentedness where we are discontent that actually can serve our faith and help us grow. There is a side to being discontent that is holy. What is that? We all, like, are trying to fill our lives and our hearts with other things. All of us have something or some things in our life that we're trying to fill a hole in our heart, in our lives, that really is a God-sized hole that only God can fill. So we're trying to satiate, we're trying to satisfy ourselves with relationships and with things and the, the religion or the disease of more. I need more feelings. Uh, and so like this person will chase feelings in relationships or chase feelings that they want through uh, an addictive behavior. They'll chase these things. I need more money. I need more this. I need more that. And as they begin chasing these things, they begin realizing that they don't satisfy. And, and the reality is discontentment cannot, can pull you away from eternity, but you can allow it to pull you toward eternity. C.S. Lewis says it like this. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. We don't have desires for things if there's not an answer for those desires, he's saying. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. Like C.S. Lewis back in the day. You know, dropping dimes here. He says this. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation isn't that there is no God, but if there is a desire we have for God, for the eternal, that nothing else can satisfy, he says, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And so our discontentment, rather than driving us to the, to the corruptible, can actually drive us to the eternal because we know that over here that doesn't satisfy our soul. But God and the world of the kingdom that he has created, uh, the, the, the kingdom of God, where everything is given and nothing can be earned, is the only thing that can satisfy our soul. And so it drives us toward God. Let your dissatisfaction and your discontent drive you to eternity. The last thing is, number five, let Christ be your contentment. Let Christ be your contentment. Philippians 4.10 says this. I think this is beautiful. This is the Apostle Paul talking. For I have learned to be content, he says, in whatever circumstances I find myself. Uh, I know both how to make do with a little and I know how to do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, get this and underline it, I have learned the secret of being content. 
Whether well-fed, hungry, whether in abundance or in need, whether I have a lot or I have a little, I've learned how to be content when I have a lot and how to be content when I have a little. And oftentimes we think, oh, we're only discontent when we have a little. No, you're discontent when you have a little and when you have a lot. It's a disease that just gets into our heart. And Paul says, here's the answer. In verse 13, I am able to do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. Christ Jesus was sent into the world by his Father. Into a world that couldn't be satiated, that couldn't be satisfied. That we're looking for God in all the wrong places. And pride and selfishness had taken over. And Jesus comes and he gives his life selflessly in humility to die for the sins of the world. To be the sacrifice that satisfies our soul. The sacrifice that satisfied the problem with sin. So that we could look to him and find satisfaction. That we could look to him and find contentment. When the world around us is discontent, we can look to Jesus and find our contentment in him. My challenge to you is to find your contentment in him. Jim Elliott said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me read that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Quit trying to fill your life with more stuff that you can't keep and that won't satisfy. Trade that for that which you cannot lose ever. When you give your life to God, that is an eternal relationship. You're exchanging your plan for God's plan. You're exchanging temporary for eternal. And many of us sitting here like there is a struggle with the disease of more And we want more and we want more when when all that we need is right here in Christ Jesus. It's been given to us through the blood of Jesus. It's been given to us by the love of God. If you've been struggling with contentment in Christ, I want to ask you to to make a a prayer of faith today. If you've never put your faith in Christ, I want to ask you if today's the day that you want to exchange the temporary and the corruptible for the incorruptible, eternal ways and life of God and if that's you and you've been struggling you've been discontent you've been low grade angry indecisive frustrated needing more and you need that contentment today's your day I'm telling you that's Christians and non-Christians so if you would bow your head I want to pray a prayer of faith and if you want to pray this with me I would ask that you would you don't need to have perfect faith you just have to have faith that you allow God to perfect. So would you pray this in your heart with me? Heavenly Father, forgive me for the sickness of more. Free me from looking for contentment outside of your love. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to forgive and free me from my sin and my shame. I ask that you would change my life today and bring it a sense of deep soul contentment into my heart. The best I know how, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd keep your heads down just for a second. If you prayed that prayer today, would you just look at me? If you prayed that prayer of contentment, would you just look up at me? I see you. I see you. I see you. God bless you in your contentment with him. God bless you in your faith with him. I see you. You can go ahead and put your heads down. Um, Let me close in prayer.
Father, we love you. We're so thankful for you, God. I pray that we would be a church that grows in contentment in Christ. That we would exchange, always, always exchange the temporary for the eternal. And Lord, we will, and may we find that when we seek your kingdom first, when we seek the eternal first, that all the temporary things that are good things and good life things and wonderful relationships, all those things would be given to us in the right place, in the right priority. Would we follow you with everything we have, Lord? Give us wisdom for today that takes us into tomorrow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.